Oh. Oh, man. I was meditating on that verse the other night. I don't know, what do you guys, do you guys stand up the whole time? Or you guys, just go, go where you need to go. As long, yeah, if God lets you stand. Good, good, you learned something. Um, no, I seriously, I was meditating on that verse. You know, I'm counting breaths, you know, and just going, God, this is nuts. I mean, isn't that like a fragile feeling when you do that? Like, it was so good for me. I'd never done that before, and I thought, man, I want everyone to do this, because with every breath you go, I am so not in control. I am so not in control. Everything's about you. And then you see, don't you see the silliness in lifting people up when you do that? It's like, God, why do I care about anyone, you know, who's, who's famous or gifted or rich or good-looking or whatever? It's just these are all people. You're in charge of everything. But then as I was meditating on him and I was meditating on that verse, I just kept thinking about my salvation. And I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you ever get this way. I hadn't gotten this way in a long time, but I started thinking about God loving me. And I was thinking that being on that throne, holy, holy, holy one, looks down at Francis Chan and says, I love him. And I was just in my bed just thinking about that, like, you love me, like, you're crazy about me. I've seen the way you've answered my prayers. I see every time I, I ask you something or I, I, I pursue something, you answer in this supernatural, like you're, like you're listening to me. And I just thought, gosh, all over again. It was like I fell in love all over again. Like, gosh, the God of the universe <laughs> loves me. He listens to me. He's in charge of everything. No one has any power except for him and whoever he chooses to give it to. And that being loves me. And I just started getting, giddy is the word I think of. Like I just started thinking, wow, you love me. You love me. You're crazy about me. God, the one who let me breathe, the one who's giving every breath to every human being, like that being in heaven loves me. It, it got to the point where I couldn't even sleep because I was so excited. Um, it, it felt like, it felt like just, I don't know, <laughs> I guess I felt like the way I, I think I should always feel, but don't, you know what I mean? Like, like don't you always just, just picture, gosh, I know what it's like to fall in love. I remember falling in love with my wife, you know, when I first saw her and, and then when we first started going out, I'm thinking, wow, she loves me. Shut up. She still likes me. Shut up. You know, this whole time, just like this giddiness and, uh, and, and to feel that for God, you know, this far down the road and saying, God, that, see, that's right. That's right. And God, why don't I always feel this way about you? I want to always feel this way. I want to always love you like this. Um, You know, speaking of my wife, um, yeah, I'm going to tell a story. Um, okay, let me preface it. I love my wife. Um, she, is, she is the greatest, like no one I'd rather be with. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But we had a little problem a few days ago, um, right before Christmas. And uh, I think, I don't know where you are, honey, but I... I'm just kind of confessing this to you in front of everyone. Um, I think it might have been the first time she actually hurt my feelings a little bit. Like I was the one that was like, <laughs> you, you know, it was, it was just one of those moments. But normally, no, 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 normally she's perfect. She's amazing. I mean, you, you guys know, you guys know a little bit about our lives and just, just the crazy life and journey that God's uh, led us on. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But, but you guys, maybe you can help me out with um, some marital counseling here. Um, 
or if Chris Tomlin's listening, now that you've been married seven weeks, I could use your advice. Um, we, uh, okay, my wife, you know, Christmas is coming up, right? And uh, I was thinking, what do I get my wife? Um, and I'm thinking, you know what, she, she drives this old minivan. I mean, the paint is just peeling everywhere. Literally, you just drive down the road and paint chips come off. And, um, but not only that, most of you guys know, we have four children. Um, what you may not know is Lisa is pregnant with our fifth child. She's four and a half uh, months pregnant. That's a lot of kids. And uh, then when we were in China recently, we saw this little boy who just needed to be adopted so badly, you know? And, uh, and uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't his, his legs don't work, and he, you know, so he's, he's handicapped, and, but, but just the cutest, most lovable, and, and it's just, ah, you know, we can't just leave him there. And uh, we start pursuing this, and we're, so we're in the process. We don't know what the Lord's gonna do there. But um, so we're talking, we're like, wow, we're a family of six, we're gonna be a family of eight. Uh, maybe, Lord willing, pretty quickly here, and our old van only holds like seven, and we had had some discussions of, yeah, we should probably replace that, you know, before it just dies on us, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to buy her a car for Christmas. That's very romantic. That's beautiful. Um, and so I start looking, right? I start looking at, you, you know, different, uh, you know, on the internet, eight passenger cars, what can you get? You know, these big old giant people mover vans, or there was the Honda Pilot, the Honda Odyssey, Toyota Sienna. I'm looking at it all. I call three of my friends who own auto dealerships. I go, look for a use, this, 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 or this. And call me back, let me know what you find. Okay, so I'm doing all this research, because I love my wife, I, I think she's great. Um, I, she was awesome until this moment. And, uh, and, um, and, uh, and I got to the point where I thought, gosh, I don't know what to pick. You know, I don't know what she'll like. Is she going to like this car? You know, this one has more miles. But she wanted those, one of those big 12-passenger vans. And I'm like, oh, that's so ugly. And where are you going to park? You know, no one, it's it just, but, but, you know, all of this, it just, I just want to surprise her. I was just thinking, I'm going to put a big old bow, you know, she comes in the driveway. But then I just freaked out because I thought, I don't know which one she's going to like. So I just confessed to her a couple days before Christmas. I go, honey, I don't know what to do with your Christmas present. I got to just spill the beans and tell you what I was going to get you. It's going to be a combo thing because her birthday is tomorrow. And so I was like, this is going to be like a big old present. And she gets all excited. And, and I go, but I have to ask you something because I didn't know which one to pick and I didn't want to mess it up. And she goes, what, 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 what? I go, I was going to get you a car. And she looks at me and she goes, that's not a present. <laughs> not a present? She goes, well, because a while back we had discussed a car and we, we agreed that it's a necessity. That's not a present. And I go, I, I called all my friends. I was looking at all this stuff. And I was going to have this big bow, you know, and, and then, you know, I get this text later, sorry to burst your bubble, honey, but a girl does not consider a car to be a present. Thank you. Some of you girls are going, what, 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 what? She goes, she says, a, 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 a present is something you don't really need. <laughs> and we need a car. And I kind of start seeing, you know, but I, in my mind, I'm going, man, I saw those commercials, though, where, you know, the big bow. 
And uh, it sure looked like a present. And I didn't see the lady go, that's not a present. You know, they had a big smile on their face and everything else. And so I didn't buy her a car. I just bought her some sunglasses. And she starts tearing up because she was so excited. So I I don't get it. I don't get it at all. But my point, there is a point to that story. And I love my wife. I can't believe she's just like, oh, I almost cried when you got me those sunglasses. I'm like, it's like 30 bucks. You know, it's going to be $20,000. But anyways, um, my point was this whole, I, I thought she was going to be so pumped up, you know, and the response, the response of this thing was a real letdown for me. And we've worked through it. We're going through counseling and everything else. Um, and... Uh, but as, as I think about that, you know, this idea of here's something you work toward and you're expecting a certain response. Um, that, that's a story I thought about when I thought about this, this, this passage that I want to teach today. It's, it's Philippians 1 verse 27. And in that passage, it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of, worthy, of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, here's some good news, right? The gospel of Jesus. That's some really, really good news. And so what he says is, so now, because you've got this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ, I mean, we're forgiven. We are loved by the holy, holy, holy God. We're going to be with him forever. We're secure because of Jesus. That's some good news. And so he says the response should be worthy. Our lives, our response to that, our action should be like, shut up. I'm amazed by that. We should be giddy. That's why that other night I was like, okay, this is the way I should always feel. I want to really tell myself the gospel. I preach the gospel to myself and I tell myself the good news. Francis, you're a mess up. You, you know, you, you hurt these people. You did this wrong. You did that wrong. And then Jesus saves you. He died for all of that. He loves you. He came down. He rescued you. You got eternity with him. You, you should live a life of a, a, a manner of life that's so filled with joy. So excited, like, you know, don't you remember when you first fell in love and it was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's the way we should respond to the gospel. It's this idea of living a life that is worthy of that in a manner, a response that's worthy of that. I, I, I brought this, um, this scale because it, it gives you this idea. It, it, you know, these, uh, this is like an antique. Um, this is the way they, you know how they would put like a, I don't know what they did with them. I wasn't that old. Um, we'll ask Piper tomorrow. But you, you, you put, uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but but it's, it's, it's the idea that, I love that guy. Um, but it's, it's, I, I think what they would do is they would put like a weight on one side and then they would, you know, start putting gold nuggets on the other side or, or barley or something. But the whole idea is, you, you know, you balance it out. It, it, should look, it should be about the same weight and you figure it out. And that's, that's what this, the, the idea of this scripture is of, of being worthy. It, the idea is, uh, is, uh, is, is this is you, okay? <laughs> Do you guys know who he is, actually? Diego, okay. Do you guys grow up watching Diego? No, okay, all right. Or are you just embarrassed of it? None of you watch Diego. Okay, Dora. Oh, Dora came first. How many watch Dora? 
Okay, good, good. And he's got the backpack. Mochila, mochila. Okay. Now, so the idea is, here's me. Here's what God's saying. Here you are. Let's put you, you know, your manner of life, everything about you on one side of the scale. And the idea is this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ Here's this good news, and let's put it on the other side and balance it. And saying your life, your manner of life should be worthy. It should be equal. Um, it, it, it should be, the, the word is suitable. Like that's a suitable response. You're living in light of what you believe. You know, if that's what you say you believe, then your life should equal the same. But for a lot of us, you know, it's one of those things where you, you look at the weight of the gospel and the truth you, you, you supposedly believe, and then you, you, look at your, you look at your life and you're going, man, do the two look the same? Is it of equal value? Am I living my life in a manner, am I living in a manner that's worthy of this gospel that I say I believe, this gospel that I say that I love? Philippians 1. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's an idea of citizenship, that you're worthy of the gospel of Christ. This morning at our community group, Tim Smith was leading for a lot of us leaders, and he was teaching through Philippians 2, and it was so beautiful. He was talking about, and many of you guys, we all study that same passage about God humbling himself, and what he did was something so cool. I'd never heard anyone do it, but he contrasted that with Isaiah chapter 14, where it describes Satan saying, I will ascend and I'm going to become this and I'm going to become this. And then he says, and then look at Jesus, how Jesus, he just kept descending and saying, I'm not going to consider this holy, 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 you know, position, something to be grasped or held onto, but I'll lower myself and I'll become a man. Not only will I be a man, I'll become a servant. Not will I only be a servant, I'll, I'll, I'll be obedient even to death. No, even death to a cross. Okay, so that's our role model of Jesus. That's his manner of life. This is the good news that God came down, which is the opposite of Satan, who says, I'm going to climb up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself in the high place. I'm going to be just like the whole. And he, and he just described, he goes, do you understand if you're a person that's just constantly trying to lift yourself up, you're becoming like your enemy. You're, you're taking on the characteristic of Satan. And, and I'm listening to that going, wow, that's so powerful. I never, I never saw it contrasted so well, but as citizens of heaven, as those who are living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our lives should be like Jesus, where we're humbling ourselves and serving other people and giving and descending, 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 because it's Satan that's grasping for more and more fame, more and more acclaim for himself. And so he says, again, based upon this, this word, the weight of this, does your life match up? You see, you know what's, what's really cool about this too? I, I was gonna preach a completely different passage and about two days ago, I'm reading this passage just randomly, you know, as I'm, I'm putting together, you know, my other message. And I thought, gosh, this is what we need to hear. This is really what we need to hear. And so I text Louie, I go, 
because I just kind of freaked out. I didn't want to change plans on him. I told him I was going to preach this thing in 2 Timothy, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, ah, oh, I hope no one else is, because what if? What if Beth and Piper all just said, hey, we're all preaching this passage? I thought, oh, man, redundancy. So I, uh, I text him. Oh, no, no, no. I emailed him. I said, hey, Louis, you know, uh, um, his email address, it, no, I'm just kidding. It, it, uh, I, I just said, is it okay? I just felt like I was supposed to switch to uh, Philippians 1, verses 27 and 28. And he texts back, amazing. I'm preaching Philippians 1, 1 through 26. <laughs> I know. Wait, don't you love when God does that? Um, but it's, it's just this reason, and, and, and here Paul is, he's describing his life, and he's saying, for me to live is Christ, and then he switches here. In verse 27, he makes a switch, and he starts talking to the people, and he says the first word is only. He goes, I just, I'm just asking one thing of you. Now, this one thing encompasses a lot, but he says only. Okay, here's me. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Everything Louis taught is just the greatest thing on earth. You know, all, I, I, I'm, I'm free because all, I just want Christ. So kill me. I don't care. I get more Christ. It causes me to suffer. Okay, I suffer. I get to become more like Christ. There's so much freedom in that. And then Paul says to the Philippians, he goes, now let me say something to you. He goes, oh, I just want one thing of you. Only. That's what only means. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, so that whether I, I, I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not framed in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He says, I just want your life to resemble what you say you believe about this gospel of Jesus Christ. Live in a way that's worthy of that. When I think about a manner that is worthy or suitable, I look at my life, I go, you know, a lot of times I look at the gospel and I'm not a good picture of that. I'm not living equally. It's not an equal weight. Like, here's the gospel so powerful, and here's my life right here. You know, if I really believed my salvation, wouldn't I worship in an amazing way? Wouldn't I just be screaming my lungs out? Wouldn't I find it hard to go to bed at night because I'm so excited that the God, holy, holy God, loves me and sent his son to die for me? Then I thought about other passages in Scripture where I go, wait, it's, it's not equal. What Jesus said, I, I, I thought of Luke, you know, in Luke chapter 14, and this, this is a, maybe a tough thing to, to hear, but in Luke 14, there's that story of, of Lazarus and the rich man. See, I believe in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. I, I believe that, and according to that passage, there, there's that scene where the rich man is, is, is in this place of torment, and he says this, this verse in, in verse... Uh, uh, Luke 16, verse 24, he calls out and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and just cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. See, I believe that verse. I believe that's a reality. Okay, so you put that on one side of the scale. If I believe, this is where I'm going, man, there's some inconsistency in my life. 
If I literally believe that there are people right now in, in, in that position of the rich man going, come on, please, I've been in torment down here. This is ridiculous. Would someone just, oh, I'm not asking for a lot. Just dip your finger in some water right now and just put a dip, just, just, just put one little drop of water on my tongue right now because I'm suffering so much. If I believe that, if I believe Revelation chapter 20 and the weight of that, of anyone whose name is not written in the book of life, he's thrown into his lake of fire. If I really believe that and that's on one side of the scale, how does my life look in light of that? And I'm going, my life doesn't make sense. Man, if I really believe that, man, my life should show, it should be a reflection of that. There should be this warning. I, I just thought, man, Lord, I, I want to be that person. I, I want to live out what I believe. I mean, if someone, and I know it's really popular nowadays to just throw out certain passages of the scripture, you know, and say, well, I don't believe that part anymore. You know, and, and so if you keep pulling things out of this book, then pretty soon it'll be equal weight to your life. But I, I look at this, these passages and I go, why, can't, why do I get to take that one out? And why do I get to take out this passage and that passage and that passage? This is the word of God. And I don't like to believe in some of this stuff. It's hard to believe in some of this stuff. But I go, man, in light of that, what do I believe? I mean, if someone looked at your life, and I'm guessing that most of you, whether you like it or not, because it's in the word of God, you believe in a literal hell. And my question is, based upon that belief, can people look at your life and tell that you believe in hell? Can people look at your life and tell that you've been saved from that? and eternally secure in this relationship with God? Do they see that ultimate joy in you, that giddiness of I've been saved by God, I'm dwelling in this marvelous light, I've approached that unapproachable God, and at the same time, do they look at the anguish in your heart and your pain over them and go, I can tell you really believe in that hell. See, that's where it just became out of balance. I started thinking, you know, According to, uh, according to the weight, the glory of Matthew chapter 25, when it talks about Jesus returning with all of his angels and all of his glory and him sitting on his throne and him separating people, the sheep from the goats, and at the end, and it says that everyone, um, you know, when he, he talks at, at the very end, he says, there'll be those who say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? And he's gonna say, truly, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I thought, okay, if I really believe the weight of that passage, if I really believe the glory of that, that, that he's going to return one day and say, man, I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. And does my life show that I believe that? Is, am I living a life worthy of this truth that I've received? Could people look at your life and, and, and see that you believe Matthew 25? You see, I, 
I, I had this struggle in my life. And, you know, on the one side, I, I was sensing the joy and experiencing that. And yet on the other side, I just look at my life right then and go, God, you know what? Some of things in my life don't make sense. And, and I had heard stories, like many of you, I've heard stories all of my life about believers overseas. You know, I'd hear about the believers in the underground church in China. I'd, I'd hear about all these conversions and, and people in India that were giving their lives to the Lord and just giving everything up. I'd always heard of these stories, and, and I'd hear about these guys that no one really knows about, but somehow they've led millions, like literal millions of people to the Lord. Like somehow through their discipleship, through their sharing, through these networks, I mean, it's to the point of millions. Like, oh man, I hear these stories of these guys who it seems like their lives match up to the scriptures. And I'm looking at my life and I'm going, gosh, I don't know that mine does. In fact, I know in some areas it doesn't. And so that's why a few months ago I just said, you know what? I, I've heard these stories all my life. I, I got to meet some of these people. I just want to see, is this for real? Because you know, sometimes you hear something is so great, like a movie, then you go and watch it and you go, that was dumb. You know, and, and I just want to know, is this thing for real? I've heard about the people in India. I've heard about these underground. Let me, let me find out, is it for real? And, and so please, let me, let me say this too. Because some of you guys know, you know, I, I left my church a while back because I just believed God was leading me on this journey. And since that happened, people, people say, wow, Francis, that's awesome, man. You, you, you pulled your, your family out and, and you guys went overseas and you went on this adventure. Man, you're, you're such a godly man for doing that. And I just want to dispel any rumors and make sure you understand it's not because I was godly that I went overseas. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's because I was ungodly that I went overseas. It's because I looked at my life and I go, man, right now at that point I'm going, I'm lacking the boldness. I don't think I have the guts to say everything that God wants me to say. I don't think I have the guts, you know, to be rejected. And so I want to go meet some people who do have the guts to do it. And, and I want to learn from them. So don't, don't get any thought in your mind of, oh, what a holy spiritual guy up there. He went over there and he helped the people around the world. No, it was the exact opposite. I was so weak and I saw this ungodliness in my life. And I go, man, I want to go and I just want to learn. Man, many of us who've been on mission trips, maybe we had that mindset, I'm going to help, I'm going to help, I'm going to help. You get there and you realize, wow, I have a lot to learn from these people. And uh, when, I was in, uh, when I was in India, I had the, the experience of preaching to a group about this size, and they were the persecuted church. Many of them had lost family members. They, you know, they've seen family members beat to death and everything else. And, and so I'm just going, man, I don't even know what to say to you guys. I don't know why I'm on the stage. Talk to me. I want to hear your stories. And I just, I started talking to some of these people. There in India, I, I was interviewing this lady who's holding this, you know, her little baby, and she was breastfeeding, so it's kind of, you know, it was, okay, you know, but, but um, you know, I'm, I, I'm asking her, you know, just questions about persecution, and she starts telling me the story. She told me about how she came to the Lord, and, um, and because she became a Christian, her whole village comes to her little hut. Here's this pregnant woman, her husband, the whole village comes and they come with lizards that they had cut the heads off of and said, 
you need to drink this blood because that's how you convert back to Hinduism. And saying, you need to drink this blood, otherwise you know what happens. Deny Jesus Christ. She's telling me the story. And she said, I can't do it. And she goes, you know what that means, right? And she just grabbed her Bible and she and her husband just ran. She said, I just grabbed my Bible and we just started running, running, because the, complete, the whole village rejected us. And she talked about being out in the jungle. She goes, just my husband and I, and I gave birth out there, and my husband, you know, is holding this baby. It's our first child. We don't know what to do. We're just looking for food. We're looking for any way to feed the baby, any way to feed me. And obviously, somehow, God sustained them. I talked to another woman, same situation. But they just looked at me and they go, we were not going to deny this. And she goes, I just held on to this book. I would not let them take my Bible from me. And I just ran. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a manner that's worthy. That sounds like someone who understands that, you know what, he's really the only one that matters. You know, I talked to guys who talked about, you know, they were showing me, this guy was showing me his scars on his head, on his back, and just told me after a few, few months of becoming a believer, just surrounded by these people and just saying, okay, God, this is it. This is it. This is the way it ends, but I'm not going to deny. And he just talks about getting beaten and somehow just being able to crawl away and seeing his friend. He goes, man, and I saw my friend. They beat him. They beat him to death. They killed him. And it's all few months after becoming a believer, I thought, man, this is hardcore. And I asked one of the leaders, I go, it's, it's weird. Like, I, I go, aren't there people who just call themselves Christians here? I mean, that's everywhere, right? You just call yourself a Christian, but you don't really live it. And he goes, that doesn't make sense out here. He says, why would you just call yourself a Christian? When you call yourself a Christian, you lose everything. So why would you just call yourself that? We only do it if we're serious. And he, this other guy was telling me about how he was 11. He was 11 years old when he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And his family, he goes, I still remember coming home and telling my dad it was pouring down rain outside. He threw everything I had out into the mud. He looked at me and says, don't you ever call me dad again. And at 11 years old, he goes, man, I what did he pick up? His Bible out of the mud and just a few items of clothes. He goes, I didn't know where I was going to, where do you go when you're 11? And just wandering around, but he just talked about God's provision and God's graciousness. And here he was, a pastor, married, his own family. Here he was later on in life, and he's reconciled with his dad. And his dad now has become a believer, you know, like 20 years later. You know, amazing, amazing stuff. And you talk about being encouraged because I'm going, man, okay, that, that makes sense. If you believe all of this, yeah, and you live that life, I go, man, your life. You're living life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So powerful. Then we went to Thailand. And in Thailand, eh, that was our, our favorite as a family. We just loved being there. And uh, we just stayed in this, this uh, orphanage type place, like this, uh, this, this land that was bought for these kids who had been rescued out of slavery, um, you know, that were going to be sold into to sex slavery or whatever else. I mean, all these different backgrounds. And, and every morning, you know, me and my family were just waking up and serving the kids, hanging out with them, just laughing with them. And then at night, we would have these worship times in this little hut. And, uh, and we would see these kids. I don't know. In this place, there's maybe 40, 50 of these little kids. And 
they just got their hands in the air and they're screaming at the top of their lungs, just worshiping. And, uh, and I don't know what in the world they're singing. I, I think it was Christian. You know, they're just, ah, you know, just screaming all of this. But, you know, the guitar player was, 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 um, yeah, it just, you know, it, it just, it wasn't, you know, he, <laughs> I always, uh, forget it, forget it. Okay, he just wasn't very good. And, um, pitch everything just just awful but no one cared no one that, that stuff doesn't matter to them they've been rescued and to see their faces I mean we're holding these kids and we're just looking at them just screaming to God and I'm going man they get it and, I, and my whole family we're just all in tears as we're trying to worship with these kids because we're going gosh that's got to be so beautiful in the in the ears of the Lord you know, the sound of these kids singing, screaming at God and going, okay, that makes sense. I think they know that they've been rescued. So then we go to China. Okay, this is the last one, and I won't say anymore. Then I go to China, because I'd always heard about the underground church. And we went to a, an underground church training place um, that was for people your age. They were 18 to 25, and they wanted to be missionaries. They were the ones that were actually leaving China to go to the Middle East and to go other places. And, uh, and so I'm talking to them, and I'm going, you guys, I don't even know what to say to you. You know, I'm listening to them pray, listening to them sing. I'm going, man, I love it. I'm so fired up right now. You guys have got me so fired up. And I said, can you guys just tell me stories of some of the persecution you've been through? I mean, because wouldn't you want to hear some stories? And, uh, and they just looked at me all confused. I'm like, why? Well, I, I hear you guys go through a lot of persecution. And they just kind of were like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, doesn't everyone? And I go, no, <laughs> you know. And they go, well, but Jesus said that if they hate me, they're going to hate you also. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. And they go, this is just a part of life. I go, well, can you give me some examples? And they're like, well, you're being vague. I go, okay, just tell me the last time you got persecuted. And they, they, you know, so one girl goes up and she starts telling the story. She goes, yeah, you know, you, you know, there was a group of us and some government officials came. And so we all just hid and, you know, they got a couple of my friends. And I was, there was these two little boards and this really skinny, skinny girl, um, and uh, she goes, man, it's the first time in my life I was just thanking God I was so skinny because I could slip through this, you know, and all the kids are laughing. And she goes, I'm just shaking, thinking, okay, God, you know, I hope they don't see my backpack. You know, I hope they don't see my name. I hope they don't find anything. I'm thinking, wow, that's so intense that she could just hear them walking below her and just trying not to breathe and, and just telling. And she's just saying, it was so cool, though. She goes, just kept thinking, this is it. This is the way it's supposed to be. Another guy gets up and he talks about how same thing happened. These government officials come, and then, then he says, but we thought, man, there's only three of them, and there's 14 of us, so we just screamed, run, and so we, you know, and he's telling the story, and everyone's just laughing. He goes, and so we start running. He goes, and they start shooting. They start firing bullets, but we knew they were bluffing. They fired in the air, and, and we were taught in our training, never stop running, so we just all kept running, and he's just laughing. He goes, man, and I was just running, thinking, God, this is so cool. This is so cool, you know, and I'm listening to these guys. You guys would have loved them. I wish I could have recorded, but then, you know, it's kind of illegal, and we would all have been killed, you know, but, but it's, it's just, it was just the joy the joy. And you see, I expected some of the devotion. I expected the passion, but they were so happy. 
you know? Like, like they, they, we would just hang out with them and laugh and everything else. But, but they, they, they kept questioning me. They go, wait a second, why is it so strange? Why do you want to hear these stories? And I go, okay, where I come from, it's, things are different. I go, where I come from, do you understand that we have these, these buildings called churches and we have a bunch of them and you kind of choose which one you attend. And, 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 I, and I said, and this was the weirdest thing. I said, see, so some people will, they might even attend one and then they realize, well, the music is better here and they'll switch. And these students start laughing hysterically. I mean, I don't know if this ever happened to anyone else that's been speaking and you didn't mean to be funny, but everyone laughs, so you just go with it and go, yeah, yeah, I'm funny. You know, it was one of those moments where I seriously was not trying to make anyone laugh. I'm going, it's just kind of a weird thing. Like, we'll switch, you know, if, 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 if the child care is better here, then parents will switch to that church. And they start laughing hysterically at everything. I go, no, if service times are better, you know, if the speaker is better. And they're laughing, oh, you make us laugh. You know, and I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not trying. I'm not, this is just, and it was the weirdest thing. It was the weirdest reaction. I even asked my daughter, because she was there with me. I go, was that freaky or what? I mean, they were laughing. It was like I was doing this comedy routine when I'm just going, no, that's just the way we do things here. But as they laughed, I just thought, wow, you're right. That doesn't really make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. And I'd look at their life, I go, your lives make sense. And, and then I start thinking, man, India, there's over a billion people there. China, there's over a billion people there. Just those two countries, man, that makes up about 40% of the Earth's population. The U.S. makes up about 4.6% of the Earth's population. See, we'll listen to stories and go, man, that's weird. Ooh, they're strange over there. No, we're the strange ones. In fact, some of them laugh and go, man, that's so weird. Like, it's all consumer-driven. Like you'll, you'll just sing songs for a certain while. Give me a better one. Give me a better beat. Give me an, and we just consume, consume, consume. Oh, this church isn't, isn't quite meeting up my expectations. They're just looking at scripture and going, how in the world does that match up to making disciples? And as I listened to them, I just thought, man, you know what? You're, you're right. I mean, and some of this is laughable, the way we do some of these things. But I got so excited to come here. I, I really did. Because I think more and more of us are aware of that, right? Don't you just look at certain things in your life and go, that doesn't make sense, right? You, you look at certain things and you go, man, I'm, I'm looking at this and I believe in hell. Why would I be living this way? I believe in, in, in Matthew 25. Why am I spending all my money on myself? We're starting to question, ask these things. And I look at this generation, even as we were worshiping, I'm there on my knees begging that holy God. I go, God, I want to be a part of a generation. I want to be a part. I don't want to do this by myself. I really don't. I will. You know, I came back with just more of this. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live this way. I don't care. I'll do it. And I'm saying, God, I will. I'll be alone because I've seen people in scripture who are alone, but I don't want to be alone. And I'm looking at this and go, God, could you just raise us all up? Make a, a whole new generation that sees the foolishness in a consumer-driven church that says, no, this was about us suffering for the sake of Christ, making disciples ourselves, not just hoping that our pastor would lead them to the Lord and our pastor 
pastor would disciple them, but that the command was to all of us. Well, God, could you just raise up an army? You know, here in the U.S., it doesn't, it, I don't want to just hear stories about what happens over there. I want to be a part of a new generation. Please, God, for your name, for your glory's sake, would you just show the world a, a group of people who are committed? That's why it's exciting to hear these stories about your giving and then just going, okay, we get it. We get it. We see there's these, we see that we're okay. Even in one of the worst economies ever, you guys gave like that. Oh, man, that's, that's, that's something to be said. That's good. You understand it's not about you. And I pray for you. I go, God, would these people grow up differently with a different message? Would they not just get married and think, gosh, what do I want at my wedding? You know, what do I, who do I want to invite? Who do I? But you would actually pray and think through, God, what type of wedding would you want? What would glorify you the most? What would, what would get the gospel out in the greatest way? And as you get married, thinking through, okay, I want to marry someone that's actually going to be about the things of God. How can I strategize and really just be partnered up, you know, like I am with a, with a wife that just, just loves the Lord and just, man, this is all about him. So there's nothing to fight about. You know, like I see it in Louie and Shelly and I'm looking at the, gosh, these teams, God, would you just raise them up? They go, man, it's not just about us and our our comfortable little home. It's about us working towards the kingdom and doing something. Can we be a part of something that makes sense? Because again, I just look and I go, man, Lord, there's so much that doesn't make sense. And I am not asking you to be radical. I'm not asking you to be extreme. I'm just asking you to make your life make sense, right? I mean, people go, oh, Francis, you're so extreme. You're so out there. I'm going, no, I'm not. I'm not even trying to be those things. I'm just looking at what I say I believe and my actions don't match up sometimes. And I know that because sometimes they do. Like that night when I told you that I was giddy and I was like, oh God, I can't believe I'm in love with you. You know, that's, that's worthy right there. So I know when it's there. I, I remember times when based upon my belief, my life actually made sense. I remember being in high school Man, there were times in high school when my life made more sense in light of what I believed, where I would pray for my friends, where I'd walk through the locker halls and start sharing with them. Days when I would cut class just to share the gospel with people. It's, it's fine. It was for the gospel. It's just, no, I remember, I remember as a junior, I go, man, it made so much sense as a junior grabbing my yearbook and going down the list of seniors thinking I'm not going to see them ever again. And if I believe in this place of eternal destruction and I believe that they can be saved by the good news, I just got on the phone night after night. I just started calling different seniors I knew and I go, oh, God, I'm so embarrassed right now. Uh, I know I'm going to be rejected, but I love them. I can't just let them go. I can't just let them go. And I'd call, i go, this is the craziest phone call you'll probably get from anyone, but I just don't know that I'll ever see you again, and I'm so concerned. See, that makes sense if I believe in hell. There were moments, I remember when I was waiting tables. I remember waiting tables at this restaurant, Acapulco's, and, you know, and I'd come home and think about the other waiters and waitresses that we would laugh, we'd party, we'd just enjoy each other. Then I'd come home and I'd think, oh, God, you can't let them go to hell. God, you can't. And I just remember nights where I would just weep and say, God, you got to save Lori. you got to save Ron. I love these guys. They're my best friends. See, that made sense. 
I remember being in a hospital room watching my grandmother breathing her last breath and just trying to scream in her ear in Chinese, just trying to explain the gospel the best I could to where I couldn't even breathe and I was such a mess. I remember seeing my brother there who was not walking with the Lord, older brother. And I remember just finally, I didn't care anymore. I just said, Paul, I don't ever, I don't ever want to see you on this hospital bed and not know where you're going. And just this blubbering idiot, just snot everywhere, just crying hysterically. Like, oh, you gotta give your life to. You gotta give it to Jesus. I care about you so much. I don't, I don't ever want to be unsure of where you're going. And just saying all of this. I didn't care about a speech. I just had to say everything in my heart. And I'm going, man, that moment made sense in light of what I believe. I've tasted what it's like to make sense. And by the way, my brother gave his life to the Lord that day. Yeah. I remember him looking at me and saying, no, I'm going to change everything. And I thought, oh, you're just saying that because I just look like an idiot right now. And sure enough, he's a pastor now. He trains, teaches homeless people in San Francisco and, and, uh, and teaches them how to become pastors. Uh, amazing ministry. But it was at those moments where I go, okay, that makes sense in light of what I believe. And I just want to keep living that life. I want to live a life where I have peace and go, that makes sense. That's a manner worthy of what I believe. See, the Apostle Paul made sense, right? When you, when you look at Romans 9 and Paul just talks about his anguish, his pain over those who don't believe and how he'd rather be accursed for their sake. But then you look at Paul's life. He went from city to city. Don't you look at Paul's life and go, that makes sense. Going from place to place, getting beat up, telling people about Jesus. But he says, man, I love you too much to not say anything. And I go, gosh, his life makes sense. And there's times when my life made sense. And God, I wanted to always be that way. I want to have so much joy that everyone believes that I was saved by a holy God. I just want to read one more story. I just read this a couple months ago in this book by uh, uh, Lutzer, Erwin Lutzer. And uh, he, he reads this, uh, or he writes this. Um, it's a testimony of, of this guy. And listen to this. He says, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what, what could we do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we could hear them no more. And then the guy says, although years have passed, I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. 
God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing to intervene. You know, I, I listen to that story and it's very easy to be judgmental, right? It's very judgmental, you know, and go, man, that's stupid. Come on. You heard the train full of, of people screaming and, and your solution was to sing louder so you wouldn't have to hear it. But as I looked at that story, I just thought, all right, Francis, what would you have done? Look at the pattern of your life. Would you really have said something? Would you really have done something? Seriously, think about it. Everyone's singing. Everyone in the room is singing. It's just what you do. You sing louder to drown out the sound. Are you the type of person who would say, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do it anymore. I can't pretend that's not happening. You got, would you be the one? I'm not saying that you'd start some rebellion, but just you in your own life saying, God, I can't take it anymore. I've got to do something that you might then start making disciples on your own and saying, come on, you guys, let's do something. That's not just sing louder. And uh, sometimes I look at my life and I go, I don't know, God. I, I, I sure hope I would have spoken up. I sure hope I would have spoken up during the times of slavery when the Christians were the ones that were fighting for slavery. Could I have been one of the few that stood up and said, no, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't do this anymore. See, it's easy to judge. It's easy to look into, at different times in history and go, yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, that was weird. The difficult part is looking at our world right now and looking at the system right now and saying, what is weird? And I, I, and I just pray for some of you that you would rise up and say, you know what? This isn't right. And it's, it's not about judging other people. It's about your own life. Going, man, I'm too consumer. I should be more in love with you. Why do I love this stuff so much? See, this is what I'm praying for, that some of you would have that boldness. See, because Philippians 1, 27, it, it ends. He's saying, so that whether I'm here or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Isn't that a great statement? This is, what, this is what God, here's a manner worthy of the gospel is when you guys can strive side by side and you're not scared of anything. You're not afraid of anything. No, no, nothing. He was not afraid of anything. He says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. See, God says, when you guys can strive side by side and you're not afraid, you're not afraid of how the whole world thinks you go, no, this is the way holy, holy, holy God thinks. And we're going to stand for this and we're not afraid. He says, when you do that, then the world's going to believe. But as long as we're scared and we're cowardly, we will not stand up in love. He says, the world's not going to believe. Somehow we've got to unite and stand side by side for this precious gospel and look at the things that are wrong in our lives and saying, you know what, my life does not make sense in light of the gospel. And for us to side by side just say, you know what, let's just not be afraid. See, here's what I want to do right now. 
I know the heart, at least this part of Louis and Shelley and everyone who puts on passion and sings these songs, gives these talks. The last thing we want to do is just create a rah-rah conference. No one wants that. But our hope is that we keep looking in this room, and especially this year, I don't know what was so unique about it, but we'd look at this crowd and we'd go, gosh, this, this might be it. This might be the group that ends this whole consumer-driven mentality and just says, no, I want to become like Jesus. This might be the group that, that grows up and, and raises an army in their home to serve Jesus, not just to attend a service. This might be it. This might be a group that doesn't just sing the songs, but the, the, the words that they sing and say they believe their lives are actually matching up, that you want that, and you want that peace. And I just want to pray for your boldness, because I think I, I'm not here telling you what doesn't make sense in your life. I don't know your life. I'm just saying I can look at my own life and see things that don't match up. And when they match up, I'm at total peace. I'm going, yeah, right on. You know, I'm there. I'm walking in the spirit. This is great. I'm following Jesus right on. When I'm not, I feel I don't need anyone to convict me. I see the word of God. I read the word of God. I love the word of God. And I think the same is true of you. And I want to pray for you that you would have the boldness to change the things in your life that right now you go, that's not measuring up. Because that takes tremendous boldness. And all through scripture, I see individuals that were willing to step up and stand up. And I just want to pray for you, not as a way to close my sermon, um, but because I believe there's power in this. In, in fact, I want you to pray. Would you just bow your heads right now? And again, think about who you're praying to. Before we say a word to him, think about who you're about to speak to. Holy, holy, holy God, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. You're speaking to him. That God who has saved you and loves you and chose you for a moment just like this. He chose you specifically to do something on this earth. You're not here by accident. That holy God created you. He made you. He filled you. And he put you in this room. He gave you that passage of scripture. You're speaking to him. And just start telling him, God... Certain things in my life don't match up and I want them to. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want him just to be my savior. I want him to be my role model to where I will descend and descend and descend and give myself to the people who have nothing give myself, sacrifice my reputation for the lost. And just say to him, God, I want my life to make sense in light of the gospel.
God, if we believe we've been saved by you, we should be so excited. God, if we believe that there are others who don't know you, we should be so concerned and burdened. God, if we believe that you want us to love you by loving the least of these, we should be consumed with this. And so God, I'm begging you, Lord, could we all be a part of something new you do here? Rise up a people for yourself who make sense who understand it makes no sense to lift us up, we're people, and it makes all the sense in the world to lift up the glorious, majestic name of Jesus with all of our hearts, all of our voices, and all of our lives.